Thank you for joining us at Truth Matters Church. Today we finish our look at the overview of the four horsemen and the breaking of the first seal as described in Revelation chapter 6. This is part 2, so be sure to listen to part 1 for the full context of this message. If you're enjoying and being challenged by our expository study in Revelation, consider joining us in person or online. Details at truthmatterschurch.org. Here is Pastor Alex. Okay, let's finally get to our scripture reading. What we'll do is we will read the first eight verses and then we will exposit the first two. So John wrote, Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a loud voice of thunder, Come. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it, and it was granted to take peace from the earth. And that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice from the fourth of the fourth living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. And he who sat on it had the name Death. And Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over the fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. So there was John's vision of the first four seals that was broken by the lamb who was slain. So here, let me ask us a question. Who are the four horsemen? Are you familiar with the four horsemen? Okay, concerning the riders on these different colored horses, and this isn't all of them, but just to kind of give you a flavor of what's out there. When it comes to the white horse and the rider and the white horse, there's teachings out there that says, oh, that means world peace or a false peace. A series of false messiahs, Antichrist himself, world forces, political conquest, even purity of the church. That was an interesting one for me. When it comes to the red horse, here are some common teachings out there. And what you'll see is there are a lot of teachings out there. They'll look at these riders on these different colored horses as figurative or symbolic of something. And the imagination goes wild. They'll say concerning the red horse, oh, it's the color of blood or holocaust, war, civil war, removal of peace. The black horse means famine, global hunger, sadness, want, woe, darkness, inflation. Ashen horse, death, pestilence, eternal misery. These are just some examples. So there's, there's a lot out there, and I didn't want to bring you down too much with that. What am I going to ask? But who does the Scripture say they are? I don't want to know who you think they are. What does the script, who does the Scripture say that these riders on the white horses are? What does the Scripture say? Don't I sound like Paul? What does the Scripture say? What does the Scripture say? And to this, I'm going to cross-reference the opening of Zechariah. Look, we're going back to the Old Testament. 
And what I did here, and this has been a practice, I look for common words that are used in a passage. And I go to their Greek, and then I go, okay, that's the Greek word. What's the Hebrew equivalent word? Because the Old Testament, the majority of it, is written in Hebrew, some in Aramaic, and all of the New Testament is written in Greek. So when I were studying the New Testament, and I come up with this you know, Greek word, I will say, okay, what's, how was it used all in the New Testament? And then what's the equivalent in the Old Testament, Hebrew word? And how was that used? And that gives me a big picture of both. So when I looked for, when were there different colored horses in Scripture? It took me to Zechariah. When there was actually different colored horses. So I'm like, okay, what does Zechariah has to say? So let's go there. And we're going to read the very first of Zechariah. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, saying, and I highlighted this, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets proclaimed, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not listen or give heed to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your fathers? Then they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to us to do in accordance with our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shebat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, as follows. Here, the prophet is now getting a vision, the prophet Zechariah. I saw at night, and behold, a man was riding on a red horse. And he was standing among the myrtle trees, which were in the ravine, with red, sorrel means choice, fine, best, and white horses behind him. Then I said, My Lord, what are these? And the angel who was speaking with me said to me, I will show you what these are. And the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. So they they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth is peaceful and quiet. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no compassion for Jerusalem and the cities of Judah with which you have been indignant these 70 years? years. Here's the summary what I want us to pull from this passage. Zechariah started this passage that the Lord was very angry with your fathers. So this would include Israel and Judah. And then Zechariah sees in vision, he sees a man riding a red horse among other red, white, and choice horses. And who were they? Those who were riding on the horse were sent by the Lord to patrol the earth. Those sent to patrol the earth provided a report that it was peaceful and quiet, and an angel appealed to the Lord of his compassion, having been indignant for 70 years. There's a lot of parallel with what's going on in Zechariah's prophecy. You have angels sent on horses, and they were to patrol the earth. And they patrolled the earth, and they came back and brought a report saying it is peaceful and quiet. 
And in this setting, God is angry with His people. And He's saying, return to Me, return to Me, return to Me. Do not be like your fathers. Return to Me. And then He sends angels to patrol the earth. And Zechariah even appeals that he's been indignant for 70 years. And there's synergy here even with Daniel's prophecy. Here's my question, and I've kind of answered it, and you can answer it. In Zechariah's vision, were those riding on the horse, was it symbolic or figurative? Or were they speaking of something else? Something else. So when Zechariah saw a man figure riding a red horse, and there was other riders on these other horses, and there was even an angel talking to him, who were the riders of these horses that Zechariah saw in vision? Angels. Angels. If the riders on the red, white, and choice horses was speaking of angelic beings, why is it when we get to the four horsemen, it's no longer of speaking of angelic beings? What changed? And here's where there's a difference. When you try to associate a vision to, let's say, something in the physical. And what I mean is this. So for example, when Daniel was given this great vision of the four great beasts, and he saw four beasts coming up out of the earth, and there was a lion with eagle's wings, and then there was the bear with three ribs in its mouth, and then there was a leopard with four heads and four wings of a bird, and then there was this iron teeth that had bronze claws. But then later, when the interpretation was given, it's saying that those four beasts are four kings or four meleks. So then we can say, okay, even though he saw a lion with eagle's wings and a bear with three ribs in its mouth, uh, the leopard had four heads or four wings of a bird, or that key, uh, this iron teeth beast with claws, even though that's what it was in the surface, it was pointing to actual kings on the earth. So the, the Scripture gave us that interpretation. We go with it. That writer, you know, you know uh, in that case, that beast is, it represents a king or a kingdom. But John wasn't saying, well, the rider on the white horse is X. And the, and the rider on the ashen horse was Y. And the rider on the black horse was Z. Didn't say that. He said he saw four living creatures. One of them summoned up one of them first. And he said, come. And he came. And he, he came on a white horse. But it doesn't tell us that that, that was a person or a kingdom. It just says there was a rider on a white horse. Here's the translation. The four horsemen are four angelic beings sent to patrol the earth and bring about what was written and decreed inside the seal scroll. So when Christ broke the first seal, that first angelic being was summoned by the four living creatures and he said, come and go. Whatever was written in that first seal is what that angel riding on a white horse, that's his task on what he needs to do. God was angry with Israel in Zechariah 1, and God is angry with Israel in Revelation 6. Their activity does stir up the pot of the earth, so to speak, and it begins with the people in the land of Israel. It's right there. So with this out of the way, I want, I'm ready to exposit verse 1. Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with the voice of thunder, come. Then I saw can be rendered, also I saw, and I mentioned this, when you study the book of Revelation, it flows in sequence. Unless the Scripture takes us somewhere else, we're going to read it sequentially. Meaning, there was 
you know, there was the seven letters to the seven churches. And then from there, there was the, the seven seals that were broken in succession. And then when the seventh seal was broken, then there were seven trumpets that were blown. And then when the seventh trumpet is blown, then the seven bowls of wrath. We are reading this vision as it is given by John in sequence. So when he says, then I saw, it flows in sequence with this vision, meaning the vision is now going forward. Uh, when the lamb broke one of the seven seals, that was probably the most straightforward, self-explanatory thing. The lamb as if slain. Remember, there was this huge scene in heaven when you had the one sitting on the throne holding this book sealed with seven seals. And we learned that the one who's sitting on the throne in heaven is God the Father himself. And he was holding this book sealed with seven seals. And then there was this pronouncement, this big activity happening in heaven when the angel proclaimed, who is worthy to take the book from the Father's hand and to break its seal? And remember, John wept at first because no one was found worthy at first. And then one of the elders told John, stop weeping. He goes, behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah has overcome, and he is found worthy. And then when the lamb, who is not the one sitting on the throne, the father sitting on the throne, he took the book from him who sat on the throne. And then as soon as he took the book from the father's hand, then everyone in all of heaven bowed down and worshiped the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, when he says he broke one of the seven seals because now he was found worthy not only to take the book, but now to break it. And he breaks this first one. What are the contents in this book again? What did we learn? What, what, what are the contents in this book? Judgments, also called mourning, lamentations, and woe. So once the breaking of the seals happen, there's going to be mourning, lamentations, and woe. It's not pretty. And we're going to see how, how ugly it's really going to be. But he breaks the first seal. And then he says, and I heard, so following the breaking of this first seal, then he goes, I heard one of the four living creatures saying with the voice of thunder. And I made this comment before. You know the four living creatures? who are before the throne, who stand before the throne day and night, that they lead the worship before the throne. I called them heaven's worship choir or team. Not only, are, not only do they lead the worship, among, uh, including the 24 elders, but they also uttered, or the first one of them at least, uttered to this one angelic being. He says, come and that angelic figure came in verse 2. He goes, And then I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. So John sees a rider on a white horse. Again, who's the rider? An angel. And this rider had a bow. We're going to talk about that. We're going to break this up in pieces. And it says a crown was given to him. We're going to talk about that. And then John describes that he went out conquering and to conquer. So let's look first that he had a bow. So this rider that was summoned by one of the four living creatures, he says he had a bow, Greek, toxon. And toxon was only used one time in the entire 
New Testament, and it's only in this verse. And I said this before, and I'll say it again. Just because this writer was summoned and didn't have arrows, it doesn't mean he came in peace. And in our Key of David study, what I did was I took the Hebrew equivalent of taxon, which was the word kesheth. And I said, okay, well, the Greek or in the, the New Testament didn't give me much to work with, so I want to go to the Old Testament and to understand what it means or what this could mean. And here was a summary of it. So Bo or Kesheth was mentioned 75 times in the Old Testament, and yes, I looked at every one of them. And it could have several meanings depending on context. So Kesheth, which is translated bow in the Old Testament, it could refer to hunting with an actual bow and arrow. It could refer to the bowmen or the archers with an actual bow and arrow. It could be figurative of might. It could mean rainbow, war, weapon of war, bow or sword. And it can also mean a ben, uh, an impending attack. So there are some scriptures where it says that about in, in Psalms where the Lord is bending the bow to his enemies. It's as if, God himself is ready to pronounce judgment or to judge in that vision. But since toxon and conquering and to conquer is in the context, then we are to understand that bow is to be associated and understood with war. So here's the translation. The first seal will manifest itself with wars, Rumors of wars, kingdom rising against kingdom, and nation rising against nation. I'm taking the very words from our Lord. And this is going to begin in the Middle East and the Mediterranean countries. And then it's going to expand from there. And this flows with the description of this writer. It says a crown was given to him. Crown as Stephanus, which we covered extensively in our promised crown study. And I want to refer to a slide when we covered Stephanus. So Stephanus was used 18 times in the New Testament. And Stephanus, which we translate here crown, it can mean an actual crown worn on the head, or it could be figurative. And here are some examples. There was a, you know, when our Lord was, when it was made upon him, the crown of thorns, and it was put on his head when he was mocked and scourged. That was a Stephanus of thorns. It was shaped as if a crown, and then it was placed on his head. There is a Stephanus of wreath, so it was worn by victors who competed in Paul's day. There is a, a Paul called the Philippian and Thessalonian believers. He says, you are my joy and crown. You're my joy and Stephanus. Um, there is a Stephanus of righteousness. Paul said, there is laid up for me a Stephanus of righteousness on his way of being beheaded. And I've shared this kind of comment in passing. It, perhaps those who died for the cause of Christ may get crowns. But what we learn when we were going through the seven letters to the seven churches, that as part of God's reward system, that those who died as martyrs for the cause of the gospel and advancing his kingdom could very well either be given a distinctive crown, different from everyone else, or maybe they even have the crown and we have something else, and we'll get the crown of life or something along those lines. But there was a Stephanus of life. James said, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the Stephanus of life. And there's the Stephanus of glory. Paul Peter said, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading Stephanus of glory. 
So based on the context of the rider on the white horse, because this was all of the New Testament usage of Stephanus, what fits best with this rider on the white horse when he was given a crown? Was he given a Stephanus of thorns? A Stephanus of a wreath? Did he win some sort of game? Was he someone's joy? Or was it more righteousness, life, and glory? Here's where I've landed. When he was given a Stephanus. Because he is going to operate in the authority that was given to him by the one who broke the seal. Remember, our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was described in vision, the one who held the seven stars in his right hand, and those seven stars represented the angels over the seven churches. And he had the keys of death and of Hades. So when the Lord, our Lord Jesus, broke the first seal, that this angel was given the authority from the righteousness and from life himself and from glory. And now this rider on the white horse is going to do a task. So this is how this can manifest itself on earth. Is when a king rises to power and wages war in the name authority of righteousness, life, and glory. That could be our clue there of how will this manifest itself when this rider on the white horse is now let loose and is materializing. Now, I want to say something here, and I'll kind of end with this comment. Do you notice, contrary to probably the most popular opinion or teaching out there, I have not once argued that the rider on the white horse is referring to Antichrist. Have you noticed that? If, if you open up your resources and you open up your commentaries, the majority of teachings out there will say that the rider on the white horse is Antichrist. That's when Antichrist arrives on the scene or something along those lines. And I want to say this. You know when we hear the word Antichrist, I even think our probably exposure to what are you talking about Antichrist? Because by definition... Right, that's in the place of Christ. So there's the Antichrist. You know, John warns us that the Antichrist is coming. So someone is coming in the place of Christ. I'm going to start to be attentional. I'm not going to call him Antichrist anymore. Here's why there's going to be an Antichrist, and there's going to be someone else. Because when we get to Revelation 13, and I read that when we in the break or in the blowing of the seventh trumpet when John sees this beast coming out of the sea and this great dragon and he gave authority to the beast of the sea but if you keep reading in vision there was another beast that came from the earth and this one who came from the earth there was apparently some image that was erected and it commanded everyone to worship the image of the beast and if you don't you will be killed so there's two figures that arise in Revelation 13. And what we learned in Daniel's visions, the beast from the sea is the little horn. And then the beast, when we, when we get to the ram and the goat vision in Daniel, that ultimately from the goat that he had one conspicuous horn that was broken to four horns, that over time there's going to come, that's the Antichrist or the false prophet, I want to call him. So there's, I, I want to call... There's anti-God and anti-Christ. There's going to be someone who's going to arrive on the scene and declaring himself to be God. 
And that person is going to have a spokesperson saying he is the one and you must worship him. He's going to have kind of a forerunner or a false prophet or you can even say a false messiah. There's two figures. But here's where I'm going with this. Even our, when we say antichrist, what are you talking about? And it connected with Daniel's vision. Which figure are you talking about from Daniel's vision who had visions and details concerning the end? And I think we've oversimplified even the word antichrist in the place of Christ. Yeah, there will be our Lord warned there will be many you know, false Christs and false messiahs claiming that I am he. And if you hear someone saying I am he and say he's in the wilderness, he says do not go. He goes, I've told you in advance. So we know there's going to be activity that's going to pick up. But when we get to Revelation, we get to chapter 13, when Satan finally gives his authority to this figure who John saw, I mean, who Daniel saw in his vision as the little horn that came from the beast with iron teeth, with iron claws that had ten horns that represented ten kings. And then that little horn is going to uproot the first three kings. And then he's going to be given authority. So all that is to say, I'm going to be intentional going forward now to make sure, wait, who are you talking about? Because there's two key figures that will arrive on the scene, but one is going to declare himself and elevate himself above every so-called God and declare to be worshipped. And it's going to come to the point where if you don't worship him and you don't take his mark, he goes, you can't buy or sell and you will be killed. So there's two figures. There isn't just Antichrist. There's two. And also, the reason why I haven't argued that the rider on the white horse isn't referring to Antichrist, because we just learned that in Zechariah 1, it was referring to angels. So in Revelation 6, it just must be an angel. And whatever that angel was tasked to do, it will manifest itself on earth. And here's another point. And here's why I'm just letting you know, why, why am I not arguing or advocating that the rider on the white horse represents antichrist i wasn't able to connect the rider and the white horse with any of the four beasts i went through the four beasts i go okay if you're one of these kings that somehow came up how can i connect this rider and the white horse with daniel's vision i couldn't connect it so i'm not going to force it and i believe this vision simply means an angel was given a crown signifying authority was given to him by the lamb who was found worthy to execute the judgments written in the sealed book so i'm resigned not to say anything beyond to say that the rider on the white horse was an angel with authority given a specific task, and that starts with conquering and to conquer. So when this angel is given this crown and is riding on a white horse and is sent, he's not just going to patrol the earth. He's going to wreak havoc on the earth. And that activity will ultimately manifest itself on earth when the Lion King in Daniel's vision arrives on the scene. This rider on the white horse, John describes, was given the task conquering and to conquer. And the Greek verb is nikao, and its root word is Nike. How many of us have Nikes on? I have a Nike. Do you know that Nike means to conquer, to be victorious, to prevail, to subdue? That's the root word that was used here. So how will this manifest itself on this side of heaven? Again, through wars, rumors of wars, nation rising up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And it begins with the lion king of the first of the four beasts. And then it expands from there. So here's the translation. I wanted, I wanted to get to this. 
when we take into consideration Daniel's four beasts, first of all, how did I, does anyone remember, how did I get to these geographic locations? Does anyone? Why am I saying that the Lion King, at least the scripture, took me to like Turkey, Syria, Lebanon, Israel, or even Egypt? Because here, remember, I use scripture with scripture. So when, who does the scripture call a lion? Who does the scripture call a bear? Who does the scripture call a leopard? What people? What nation? Who were they? And where were they located at that point in time when they were called a lion or a bear or a leopard? And as far as lion, we, we took into account Babylon, Assyria. Where did they conquer? Where was their presence when they were the world power? And that takes us to the Middle East. So here's the translation where we landed as far as what the breaking of this first seal mean. When the first of the four living creatures summoned up that rider on the white horse, I try to put him there in red, that sometime after this lion king with, the, with wings is going to show himself on and arrive on the scene. And I want us to leave, I want to leave us with this. And I, I've said, I know a lot of this is beyond us, but we're can we, as a church of Jesus Christ, how can we know that, oh, we're in this seal of prophecy? How do we know that when the first seal is broken, if we happen to be here? And I want to take us back to Daniel's vision. In chapter 7, verses 2 through 4, Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion, and he had the wings of an eagle, and I kept looking until his, its wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. See that last part? A human mind was given to him. A human mind was given to this king that was behind this vision of this lion with eagle's wings. So one telltale sign that we are in the first seal. Here are some possibilities. If someone rises to power on the eastern part of the world and is given an artificial mind, the Word of God is spoken. Daniel said he saw this lion with eagle's wings. Its wings were plucked and it was made to stand on two feet like a man and a human mind was given to it. So if anyone wants to argue that no, that was that was Babylon, or that was Medo-Persia, or somehow from the, from the uh, kingdoms that followed the Babylonian kingdom, that somehow this beast with eagle's wings is one of those historic kingdoms. My comeback is, when did any of those kings or kingdoms given the mind of a man? So here, here's where I'm getting at. Here's some possibilities. Artificial intelligence, anybody? Do you remember in one of our earlier studies... The first humanoid in Saudi Arabia was given citizenship. Do you remember her name? Sophia, Google it. A humanoid was given citizenship in Saudi Arabia. All that is to say, how do we know that we're in the first seal of prophecy? There are a couple possibilities. Somehow a human mind was given to something that didn't have a human mind. Or some sort of artificial intelligence. Back when Daniel was given this vision... This sounds bizarre, doesn't it? But nowadays, with the time that we're in, 
It's not so far-fetched. I mean, we just were coming out of this great global pandemic, and one of the things that our Lord warned us is that there will be pestilences in various places, pestilences or plagues, and we know the story of COVID. So that's one telltale sign that we're in that first seal of prophecy, that some king or ruler was given a human mind. And where I landed with Scripture, I think these are the most probable countries. You'll either come out of Turkey, Syria, Lebanon, Israel, Jordan, or even Egypt. And that's how we got here. So what I did was I took that chart earlier. So once the breaking of the first seal happens, that's the beginning of Israel's destruction. And then this lion with eagle's wings who was given a human mind will arrive on the scene. And I believe he's going to come from that part of the world. We will pick up the second seal. And I know that was a lot. And I've tried my best for as long as we've been on this journey to stick to what the scripture says. And if we don't know what it says, I don't know. We won't make it up. And I made this comment before when Daniel was given these visions. It confused him. It's like, he, he, he's like, what does this mean? And then an angel was sent and given him the interpretation. And sadly, what's sad is that what's happening oftentimes is that when we get to places in Scripture that doesn't make sense, if someone's in a position of teaching that you're kind of expected to know, and there's this pressure. This is just a kind of my, some of my deductions. Like, why is there all this stuff being circulated? Um, I think it can be part of it is pressure, and part of it is lazy. You're like, oh, okay, I'm going to follow this person, this person, and this person. And what did they come up with? That's what I'm going with. And you just keep it going. But we've tried our best through Scripture in just where does it take us, and we allow it to interpret itself. And that's why the rider on the white horse, never in John's vision was he saying that it meant someone, just that it was the the first of the four living creatures summoned him, and he went and did his thing, and then it's going to manifest itself with chaos on earth. Thank you so much for joining us at Truth Matters Church today. We deeply appreciate you studying along with us. Next time, we'll look more closely at the specifics of the breaking of the first seal. If you're being blessed and challenged by this study, consider joining us in person or online each week. You can find out where and when on our website, truthmatterschurch.org. We also encourage you to check out our 24-hour ad-free stream of expository Bible teaching, scripture reading, and more. Available at truthmattersradio.com. Contending for the faith, one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.